The fastest growing cohort of someone to be homeless now is a, a woman over 50. Like, mate, that's, you know, my mum, my auntie, um, you know, that, that's, that, like, that's just nuts. In our, in our society, how do we, you know, how do we stand by that and hear that and not want to do something about it? This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Pivot is a word most have used to describe surviving in these times. But for some, a more apt term would be scramble. Scrambling to find any means to bring in revenue. Scrambling to maintain the livelihoods of so many. Not just those that have lost jobs in hospitality, but those below the poverty line, those heading towards it, and the many that have lost almost everything. With the food world upside down, what impact has that had on the food businesses created to help those in need? Rob Kaslick is the founder of Two Good Co. Rob, how are you going? Good, Hark. Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for joining us. You created Two Good to serve the community's most vulnerable. How much has the pandemic magnified this problem? Oh, massive, mate. It's, um, you know, it really, there were two things happened when the pandemic first went down. Firstly, a lot of the services that are already supporting the the um, the shelters that that you know we set up too good to serve, um, they had to pull back because a lot of staff by volunteers, um, and then also don't forget we just kind of got through the bushfires and so a lot of people donating money, um, had already donated to the fires and now you know how do you, you know now the the um, COVID happened and and so there's less money out there to be passed around so. Um, not only were there's more people more vulnerable, but but there was also less money um, to that would come in from donations. Well, the bushfires is almost a forgotten thing because the pandemic arrived just after it. Do you want to take us back to that time and and what you guys were dealing with and confronted with during the bushfires? Yeah, mate. Like, like most others, we were just kind of um, in sh- in shock with what was happening. Um, what was happening to you know th- some of the farmers that we we're working with? What was happening with um, the areas that you know that were close to us uh, and the images that we saw? We, you know, and and what was overwhelming was seeing how the the hospitality industry kind of lifted and and fundraised and did all did many things to show their support um, to places like the South Coast. We we didn't at the time. We were just trying to work out what what we could do ourselves as a as a social enterprise. Like we we service you know around thirty different places all around Sydney and Sydney Metro. Um, primarily, we we do that through the sale of food that we're already selling, um, but also through some philanthropic donations. Um, and so we're trying to stay in our, our lane, but we really wanted to have a have a response um, that we could do down in the south coast. And so we end up sending a um, our social worker. Um, down the south coast and and, sp- and spend time with some of the the shelters that were doing this that that were kind of still dealing with um, um, everything or the fallout from the fires to kind of really understand what the need was. So you have two main verticals, food and things. Can you tell us about both of those and the impact that the pandemic had on those? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Alex. So we started as a soup kitchen in Kings Cross. Um, one of our volunteers, her her dad was Greg Doyle, um, and he um, ended up designing these amazing soups for us. Uh, and we um, thought, how do we scale this soup kitchen without having to ask for money? And so Greg made these beautiful soups. Um, I was full-time as an engineer, 
and decided to um you know create this little social enterprise where for each meal that we sell we donate another meal to the soup kitchen and we can kind of scale the soup kitchen to do you know up to a thousand meals each week um wow yeah no that was that was definitely the goal uh and then so we kind of launched um i was an engineer there with another i launched with another engineer and we kind of you know had all of our mates in and and, and a really cool um advertising agency actually come up with the words to gourd and create this little 60 second um video which we kind of pushed out my mate and i kind of spent all weekend the weekend prior making these bloody pumpkin soups and uh, mushroom soups um and uh thinking we're going to go you know they're going to this is going to fly we're going to not, not going to have any work during the week to to um to make these soups and we end up selling selling a grand total of six soups and so what the hell are we going to do with these six leftover donated soups? We can't really give them out of the soup kitchen because, you know, we're feeding 50 people of the Wednesday night. Uh, and so I went up to a, a women's shelter called um, Wajek Women's and Girls Emergency Centre and knocked on the door and said, hi, my name's Rob. Um, these uh, these amazing soups. We were using glass jars um, at the time mainly because of, you know, sustainability and not having to recycle, not having to kind of any any waste in the packaging so these soups in these jars, and I said, oh, they're designed by Greg Doyle, and then and, and then the lady, the general manager said, who's Greg Doyle? And I said, well, actually, you know, he's a peer restaurant, a famous chef. And they go, okay, we'll take them. But then another women's shelter started to say, we want some of those soups, and another women's shelter want, wanted more of these soups a couple of weeks later. And I thought, what's going on here? You know, we kind of set up Too Good as a way to scale a soup kitchen, but all these women's shelters are asking for these soups. And so I um, went onto LinkedIn and found this lady called um, called Lisa McAdams because while you know domestic violence impacts one in four, there was, to my knowledge, no one in my family had gone through it. And I didn't have any kind of experience. And Lisa kind of gave me some really good tips around what was happening and what we we're doing. Oh, that's really cool. And the next day, she actually wrote me a letter, and she wrote this letter, um, and I didn't know at the time, but she had gone through six or seven years of physical and emotional abuse herself, and ended up in a women's shelter in North Sydney. Um, and she said, when, when people think about domestic violence, they, they rarely think about what was missing in that relationship, the love and the affection and the care. And she talked about this um, when she was arrived in a women's shelter herself. She was given a toiletry set. Um, and for her, it wasn't the fact that, you know, someone had given her toiletries. She had no toiletries, so it was great. But it was more the fact that someone had gone to the effort of, of wrapping up this um, toiletry set and this beautiful cellophane and a neatened bow and that someone had gone to the effort of neatening that bow demonstrated that she was of worth and, and she was of value. And she said, don't ever underestimate the fact that you're you know, working with these top chefs um, means that, and you know, packaging is kind of beautiful, it means that that person's actually worth something. And when you've been told you're worthless for such a long period of time, you start to believe it and you have very little self-worth and what we're actually creating was, was not really food, but it's all these kind of moments of worth. and. And so on, on kind of reading that letter, we decided to kind of um, move more into working with women's shelters and donating food to women's shelters where that's where our impact was. And and being an engineer, I thought, you know, how hard could it be to create our own toiletry set where, you know, we can try to recreate these pivotal moments and people's healing um, journey. Uh, and so we decided to create our own um, shampoo and conditioner and body wash and body lotion. Um, and the first thing that nearly killed me, I still get like... The, the goosebumps when I smell that scent because we had like we we ended up selling lots and we had, had to pour them all ourselves and and wrap them all ourselves and it was kind of I think what the hell am I doing with my life I was still trying to be an engineer in the daytime and doing this in the part time, but then and end up when that's when we started off the two verticals like the the toiletries and um and the food but both both really are about um you know showing to the person it's that they're worthy of more than um 
you know a, a sandwich or more than kind of a, 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 um, a general product this is something that's kind of created for them because you know we think they were absolutely worthy of it so you know specifically people buy something knowing that we're also doing something similar to a woman in a shelter and, and that kind of that that person feels they feel heard and they feel kind of loved and i think that's where that's the kind of that the origin of of what we do and why we do it and, and as we started to grow a little bit i end up getting um a food the food for good award in its first year and um and what happened was how we end up getting all the chefs on board um is uh you know got given the food for good award and when 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 um fairfax gives out all its hats uh and that was great to get an award but what ended up happening was miffy emailed all the chefs the next day and um and said congratulations for you know advancing the country landscape of sydney and but she cc'd everyone and not and didn't, didn't bc so all of a sudden i had peter gilmore's email and neil perry's email and, and i was like oh neil congratulations on your 27 hats last night you know we're doing this small thing for women's shoulders would you give us a recipe and they said yeah no worries robin and peter gilmore said no problem and and so once you've you know got the, those kind of people on board everyone else thought who are these guys well we'll give them a recipe too and so it's just sort of taken off since then your model is based on selling food enabling you to then donate food so what sort of impact did that have at the beginning of the pandemic when restaurants were closed crazy so so you know we were going really well we, we were doing a lot most of our food is is mainly catering we do we do we did lunches individual lunches but we do lots of catering gigs um and yeah we saw we saw a mass we like it went to zero within um you know within two weeks our revenue for the food kind of went just just nosedive really um we were fortunate enough so we were doing um you know with the with the soaps we ended up getting some really good contracts with the corporates and so we were, you know that was got got us through for another month or so and fortunately we had some hand sanitizer that we were also selling to corporates and so that kind of also got us through for about the first one month maybe a little bit over one month of the pandemic but then when all well everyone left to work from home you know no one was in their offices washing their hands and so all of our sales also went to zero so um, it was a big impact on us as far as revenue goes and and you know we set up to to serve the community's most vulnerable and 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 what kept me awake was like now is when our community need us need us the most right so now is when the, the services like ours that are actually really needed because you know not only people in in shoulders are dealing with you know the general anxieties and leaving a, an abusive relationship or or you know the, um, now they're kind of dealing with this pandemic and, and like a much more anxiety on top of everything um and and as I said earlier you know the a lot of the services had to food services also had to stop delivering food because either they were um, staffed by volunteers or they, or they also had to work from home and so it was just really difficult so um, yeah it really it really kept me awake on you know what what can we do now in order for us to to generate some revenue um, and 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 to start you know to continue serving you know the community how bad is the problem in Australia what are you seeing as a result of the pandemic in regards to the poverty line and and people that are most vulnerable mate so we're seeing so we're kind of not frontline so we just speak to the shelters who are dealing with it and they have all noticed a, a huge uptick in in people trying to access homeless services so that it's it's absolutely gone you know increased um you know significantly i, I don't really know the stats but it certainly has that the need for services has increased in, incredibly um, also, you know, even when, even during the fires, when when any kind of stress hits a hits a family, domestic violence goes up. 
um, that's just a fact of life. And so, you know, with the fires and now COVID, the uncertainty around, you know, your financials and, 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 and the stresses around that, the domestic violence rate's gone up significantly, but also, you know, people are losing their jobs. And so it's certainly a, a big need for, for services to serve the community at the moment. And it's only going to get bigger with, you know, JobKeeper coming off and all of those things. Have you changed operations in regards to the last six months because of what's happened? We, so we, like, you know, people talking about pivoting, mate, we scrap, like, it was more like a mad scramble for us. Like, we was like, okay, what the hell are we going to do in order to bring some revenue in? And how do we, you know, like, it, I'm sure pivoting just sounds too elegant for, for than, than what we were doing. We just really... Um, worked as hard as we could to and and we were making face masks i was down at spotlight haberdashery kind of looking for elastic to to make face masks for you know for some of these corporates who were there when they started to come back so we did whatever we can um but also and quite humbly we also so the dream of too good is to is to grow the business and not have to fundraise and and to use the profits from from the things that we do things that we sell in order to do the program so um, our programs are really expensive, so not only do we donate meals to to shelters, but we also um, employ women from the shelters we serve as a pathway out of homelessness to make our food. So we have a couple of really great chefs, but our our kitchen is staffed predominantly by unskilled people um, who you know who are just trying to get out of the home, get out of the shelters, and back into the community. Um, so we, you know, so so we, I was also wondering how to you know how we're going to make sure we're going to keep everyone employed through all of this. Um, so we, you know, we did whatever we can. Our business model changed um, quite significantly only because we, we instead of going social enterprise, we we pivoted, if you want to call it that, into more charity. So we just we don't often put the hand out to say we need your help, but we'll, one of the first things I did was try to get ahead of the game and say, look, you know, I can see our revenues at zero. You know, I can see the I can see the cliff. You know, we 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 stand. With the communities most vulnerable, we want to serve them. Will you back us? And and some of our bigger corporate partners just dived in and said, "Yeah, we're with you." And then lots of lots of people just, you know, quite humbly donated money to to us. And so, I guess our our model, our our delivery hasn't changed, but our, our the way in which we we sell food or donate food um, has changed. So at the moment, it's more of a philanthropic um, service as opposed to a business, which which is just how it is. Like we, like we'll definitely get back to being more business, but right now we're we're um you know we um, are, are operating more like a traditional charity. Um uh and 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 humbly we were given so much money that we're able to um, meet the needs of the places like the South Coast. So one of the things that one of our social workers Alex uh, did down there was you know speak to the services and they when they when they knew we had some really good food and fresh food. Um, they wanted meals um, and so we've been donating we've been taking our two good truck down the south coast every six weeks with you know over a thousand meals to to hand out and mate, there's still people living in tents down there it's it's nuts like you know the the resilience of the communities down there it's just incredible and so it's and it's also been really great for us um, to to be a part of that to be you know, to be a very small part of, you know, that rebuilding of the South Coast and, um, and by just simply, you know, letting them know that there are people that still, you know, that, you know, that still care. One of the initial things when we did go down there, a lot of the 
commentary was, oh, look, you know, there's kind of saviors from Sydney coming down to, to help us in the, down to the South Coast, you know, what, what's going on here, they're all talk. We're really like the, um, Alex came back and he's like, we have to do something. If we're going to commit, we're going to have to do something. And so, you know, we, we were fortunate enough to be able to say like for one year, every six weeks, we, we're just going to do it. We're going to make it work. And, you know, we're, we're halfway or three quarters of our way through doing that at the moment. It's just an amazing thing to be part of, to be able to take these beautiful meals down there and, and just to hear some of the nice things that come back, you know, just to, just those simple things of, you know, thanks for still caring. There's so much else going on in the world. Um, for everyone right now, but you know, you've been able to still care for us, and so that that means a lot to me. What's been some of the challenges in creating this model to help those in the community, and um, has has some things surprised you along the way? Yeah, sure. I think um, we started off doing for every meal that you we sell, we donate the same meal to a shelter, and it was really kind of around one of the things from the soup kitchen was you know was around equity and and you know just because you're in a shelter doesn't mean you you know you you, um you know you shouldn't get the beautiful meal by Kylie Kwong or you know or or whoever the chef is we're working with one of the things that and then we when we realized that it was more important to have um to equal clients as opposed to you know trying to give them the same meal what you know because a meal so a lawyer from um, you know, the CBD will eat perhaps something different to someone, what they want in a shelter when they're kind of dealing with lots of other traumas. And so one of the things we, we've changed is, you know, the meal is not exactly the same anymore. And that's purely driven because of what the client wants. And so that was a big learning for us. The, same, the biggest thing also, I think, for, for me and what I still struggle with is is the, the employment piece. So, you know, each quarter we employ up to eight women um, who are all um, either at a homeless or at risk high risk of homelessness um and it's just that constant balance between trying to take on work try take on business and grow the social enterprise but then not trying to take on too much when we're actually sending the people backwards and kind of putting too much stress on them the the the, the social enterprise works or the employment actually works and it's the reason why i gave up my day job as an engineer is when you kind of see the the transformational impacts it has when you actually employ someone, when you actually, all you're really doing is believing in that person again. When you kind of, I was doing the interviews at the start and, you know, someone couldn't even look you in the face and, you know, they, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't answer your basic questions and we gave them a job because they wanted to re-enter. We knew they, you know, there was a spark in them that they wanted to do that. And within, you know, five or six weeks, I just there was just this transformation happened when they started to believe in themselves again they're away and just to be part of that was just so so special and 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 I know that's what drives everyone in our team to be part of that employment program but it's certainly a challenge and it's certainly you know um uh, something that we want to keep doing and do do much more of um is that employment piece and I think that's where you know that you know if you asked me where I wanted to be in in three years time it's to come up with a way to where we can do what we're doing in this kitchen but times 10 like how do we employ more people and give that opportunity and and give people their self-worth back through that employment especially now right when when unemployment rates are going through the roof and in particular to a more of a degree women are you know are becoming more unemployed um faster than the average so given your exposure exposure to all these issues since beginning too good are there some simple things you think that the government could change or people could be aware of 
in order to um, alleviate these issues or solve some problems? Um, you know, I, I think what, what, the first thing is awareness, mate. The first thing is just being aware of these are the issues. Like the fastest growing cohort of someone to be homeless now is a, a woman over 50. Like, mate, that's, you know, my mum, my auntie, um, you know, that, that's that like, that's just nuts. In our, in our society, how do we, you know, how do we stand by that and hear that and not want to do something about it? And I know the government knows um, it's a big issue. We have some federal government funding um, in in order to um, to learn from our program and, and potentially how to scale that program if it all goes well. So they know that you know that that right now you know the numbers are only going to continue a lot, um, and 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 the government's trying to coming up with ways on how to stem that, how to stop that kind of explosion of number of people. When we first started employing women over fifty. Um, you know, we, we heard about their stack. So I said, like, you know, let's just employ only women over 50. Let's see what we can do as a small business to to make a dent in this. Of course, it's only going to be a small dent, but I thought it was well worth a crack. Um, and we couldn't find anyone in shelters. We, you know, we it was mainly that they hadn't got there yet. So what we ended up doing was, I think I put in the, um, the you know, Australia's most discriminated ad in Seek. I said, look, you know, we're, we're looking for kitchen staff to be part of our program you must be a woman and you must be over 50. Um, fortunately seek didn't pull it down we end up kind of getting oversubscribed with people um, but now there's you know women in shelters uh, you know a lot more women in over 50 in shelters at the moment so yeah I think that the big thing is just to be aware that it's happening and and also to you know and I say this humbly is, is to, to check you know um, your biases like I still uh, still let know I need you know I have um, uh, biases around age and um, and when we first started we were really worried about you know what how we're gonna have to change things now we're applying women over 50 and and almost you know myself putting a bit of a stereotype on what's going on here but it's just learning more about um, and being more open to employing you know people over 50 I think it's um you know if we can do if our small business can you know can employ eight every quarter surely more businesses can look at at least opening up some positions or being open to more you know employing more people over 50 um in particular women i know that the people that we employ you know that some of the stories around them you know applying for hundreds of jobs and not even hearing back once they kind of knew that the age of the person applying so just trying to be more open with with employing people over 50 i think that's that will go a long way you mentioned earlier about uh some of the collaborations you've done with influential chefs, but you've got a, a pretty amazing chef on board recently, Jane Strode. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, mate. So we, um, we, um, our head chef left and before end of last year, we didn't have a, sh we were like, I was wondering, like we, we put an ad out. We weren't really getting um, uh, anyone, um, you know, that we thought could really help move the dial for us. And so, you know, I went to meet a, a friend for a drink and um, I was there a little bit early. So I was like, you know, like surely there's an amazing female chef out there that um, would love the job. You know, that working for us, it's a nine to five job, Monday to Friday. Um, you know, while we do pump out a lot of food, it, it you know, it, it is a pretty good role for a, you know, for a chef, I think. Um, and so I, I think I went on to one of the um, women in hospitality sites, actually, 
and then saw Jane was a mentor and so I kind of stalked her and then sort of sent her a message to say, hey Jane, we're looking for um, a head chef, would you be interested? Um, and uh, and she responded via, via Instagram, said, yeah, actually Rob, I would love, why don't I come in for an interview? And I said, well, fair enough, and I kind of got a bit nervous and all right, it means business now, Let, let's do this. And so, yeah, Jane came in and yeah, and she's been, she's been great, she's been really great. Uh, amazing, amazing chef. And great person too. What sort of role and influence has she had on the on the business since joining? Yeah, yeah, she's had a great role. So, so you know, she's had. Um, um, uh, well, I guess the, the you know with her experience. So, one of the things I often talk about is you know going from, um, you know, we we started we we were working in a soup kitchen basically. When the soup kitchen closed, we had the afternoon of the soup kitchen, and then we moved into a nightclub when when lockout laws happened. So we were kind of very. Um, grassroots, I guess. Um, we, we, you know, we certainly always had a really good product, but we were kind of still fairly grassroots or corner store. And I think um, with Jane's uh, expertise, she really helped build some really good structure um, into us. And with her experience, obviously with Maryvale and all of it, all of her, you know, um, restaurant experience, she really helped to, you know, allow us to grow up really and 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 be more professional in the way we do things um not just in the kitchen but you know all throughout the the business so yeah she's been a great influence on that and also a great mentor to um to the women on the program you're working at the coalface and seeing what's happening out there what do you think the next couple of years are going to look like for the communities you look after one of the um I, i don't know i think it's I think we haven't really seen the mental health issues. I think there's going to be much more need for connection. Um, I think one of the, um, you know, even prior to COVID, we were becoming more and more disconnected. Um, I think one of the one of the great things that's happened for us anyway with COVID is is trying to be more connected with our community and more connected with our food, in fact. So working closer with farmers um, and and trying to be more connected with our community. Um, but I know, you know, through isolation and even people working from home more now as, you know, as a new normal, whatever it is, sort of comes back. Connection is going to be a really big part and, and in particular connection to your local community. I really think that that's kind of the next next phase we will still be more and more disconnected by having less um connections through our work if we're if we're working from home more or indeed if we're unemployed so i really think there's going to be um more and more issues or higher rates of mental health um concerns in the community and so i think you know whatever we can do to to help to remedy that through connection you know through connecting people um, through food, you know, one of the, the values that we've kept from the soup kitchen is kind of sitting down for lunch every day as a team and, and sharing a meal and trying to kind of remain connected through that. And I think, um, you know, as you'd know, food is has that beautiful way of connecting people. And so providing we always try to eat together, we'll always be connected. And one of the things that we're trying to do more of is encourage more people to, you know, to stop and share a meal together. Um, and so I think if, you know, food will always be a big part of, of that connection as long as we can continue to, you know, to be closely connected with our food and food systems. 
your role with Too Good is to help others. But how have you felt personally during this period of time? Mate, it's uh, it's it's been tough, mate. To be honest, it, um, you know, you put on the the game the game face when you're in the office and you're trying to you know like always be optimistic and this is how we're going to do things and communicate this is where we're at and make sure everyone feels comfortable in their roles but behind the scenes it's kind of just you know like oh, like, oh shit you know i can see you know I, i've put my life into too good and and i wouldn't have it any other way like i love what i do but seeing you know seeing the the revenue fall off a cliff and, and seeing, you know, and, and still kind of not really knowing when things are going to come back again. It's, it's certainly been quite challenging for, for me personally. Um, um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic. I, you know, there's, you know, some movement happening now and more and more people are starting to come back to the office. And so optimistic, but it's certainly been, certainly been a really hard challenge um, to, you know, that whole groundhog day of, um, you know, doing the same and not really kind of get like, you know, just trying to survive. One of the things I did recently that gave me a lot of um, hope and confidence is is to relook at a three-year plan. Where do we want to be in three years, you know? And like, because this whole year, it's just been looking down and how do we, how do we get the hell out of this kind of situation? How do we, you know, plug these holes and how do we make sure everyone's employed and all those other th- things that, you know, we do mostly. But because it's, you know, there's been fires and there's been all this stuff happening within our business, well, I've been focusing very much on the day to day and not trying, you know, and with, and I've, I guess I, I lost a bit of sight on, on where we're going and, and, and where we want to be in three years. And that really gave me, um, some comfort that, you know, we're going to be okay. Like we're, 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 we'll be okay. And this is, you know, we're here actually to serve the community. As long as we continue to serve the community, we might have to do a little bit less at the moment, or, you know, we might our you know, original long-term plan might be on, you know, on ice, but you know, we we need to reset and and look at what where we are now and and kind of looking looking forward, what we could potentially be in three years. Really gave me a boost of energy, I guess, as we ramp up now into Christmas. What you've created has made such an important difference for so many. But how can people help you with what you're doing? Mate, the very first, the very easiest thing, the most easy thing, is to buy our stuff. To be honest, mate. So so we. One of the other challenges is we'll focus business to business, and and so we're now about to launch. I'll give you the scoop. We're about to launch a really cool campaign, November one, to start to target more business to consumer, and how do we, you know, increase revenue through working with, um, um, you know, going straight to the website and delivering online. Um, so we're we're we got a big campaign starting November one, with a collaboration, um with a, an amazing um, creative actually. So it's more on the good things side, but it allows us to send anywhere in the country. Um, and yeah, so that, that will, that will be um, our kind of roll into Christmas and look really looking at how do we, you know, provide gifts for, for Christmas that give twice. Um, and so that's going to be our little um, kind of late pivot to, to try to pivot to more to business to consumers and how do we, you know, how do we, um, work with the community by selling them things that they want and they want to buy and so that we can continue to do the good work here in the kitchen. Well, Rob, what you're doing is extraordinary and we're very honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds. Please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. Hark, really, uh, thank you for you know allowing to share my message and, and encourage more people to, to, to get involved. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. 
Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>